creeds and criticism meet. of reference podcast. And welcome back to the Split Frame of Reference podcast with Nick and Allison. Uh, we've got, uh, first, we want to say thank you to the person who gave us our first five-star review on, on iTunes. Uh, let me make sure I get this right. JLN4JC, so something, something, something for Jesus Christ, for his or her five-star review <laughs> on November 16th. So if you're listening, uh, JLN, uh, thank you so much. You are hopefully the first among many brothers and sisters to give us five-star reviews on iTunes. So that's the roadmap. Uh, so lead us into the roadmap, Allison. What's what's this episode all about? All right. So first, we're going to do our first beer tasting, mm-hmm. which I am not happy about. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to be doing it all the time, but maybe every now and then. I can't afford it, but you know, poor seminary well, students. yes, yes, poor poor me. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't like beer. Uh, okay, and then we're also going to run through Ephesians five twenty one through thirty three. It's kind of the big marriage. Text. It really starts earlier, but we'll yeah. get to that. Yep. Um, and then we'll also give some suggested resources if you want to look into this further. Yes, but first, uh, beer tasting. Uh, Allison, take a sip. Before you do, this is a Dogfish Head 90-Minute IPA. It's an India Pale Ale. It's kind of got a malty background. Um, very strong hop bitter finish, which I like, so nice, clean, and dry. Uh, Why do I have to taste it? Well, because it's entertaining, and it's kind of a ritual, actually. That's something you and I... Every time I've gotten a beer, I have had you take a sip in the hopes that it would convert you to being a hophead. It hasn't worked, and every I have tasted every single beer he's ever had. But she's not tasted every single beer, period. Well, there's there's many beers in the world that you have yet to taste. Oh yes, Yes. that's true. So uh, I have my beer mug out, and it's cold, and she needs to take a sip right now. Go. Oh man! It's the sound of goodness. Mm. Well, at least so. it's kind of. It's kind of sweet, crisp, right? and refreshing. The the look of disdain on her face means I'm sleeping on the couch tonight. Okay. Ugh. So all right. So Allison, I have lead to recover. Us <laughs> lead us away. You're starting with what verse in Ephesians? Uh, Torn you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Mm. God's next. No, okay. Wow. So I really hate beer. I uh, really, really I mean, hate She it. always drinks it. I never force her. I always, you know, I offer. Yeah, but then you say, this has been our tradition, and I'd be breaking it if I stopped. I mean, and we then... are beholden to traditions. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Anyway, on to more important things like the Bible. Yes. Barely more important, but yes. still important. And, yes, good things. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, this is kind of an interesting uh, one to cover because... Usually, people start with verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. What but, translation are you reading from? Um, I'm going to be using primarily the SV because this was the... Tra- I always pick a different Bible translation for each um, degree that I'm doing. And I'm doing the ESV. So. All right. But I will be going off into some of my own translation that I think makes it more understandable at times. Okay. Um. So, anyway, people like to start at verse 22, wives um, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, and oftentimes some Bibles, too, will start a whole subheading, Hmm. 
there too, giving them. Should we read the passage and all? all yeah, I'll read it. Um, but here's the thing. Okay. Here's what's hard about this, or what's difficult about this too. Um, not only some of the details that we're going to find in verse 21, but mm-hmm. also that this whole thing actually starts in terms of being one large giant sentence in verse 18. Mm-hmm. So why why do we even start further down? Or even thematically, yeah. it keeps on going. You know, there's plenty of stuff that happens early on that ties into this, but we'll get into that. So. Yeah. So here's. Here's what I'd like to do. So first, um, I want to just say, if you want to read um, another similar passage or see some suspicious similarities, go ahead and read Colossians 3. Um, it's going to be different, but you're going to see a lot of commonalities. Um, and then also, I'm going to start with reading to you part of the beginning of chapter 5, because we really, like, I think it's going to come in handy later. Okay. And then we'll run through it. Alrighty. Okay. So I'm going to start at Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, first for you guys. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So it starts with telling all of us to imitate God. And how do we imitate God? It's by walking in, in love yeah. and being willing to give up our lives for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, surprise, surprise, you know, a big part of the Christian life. Yeah. Um, and then he goes through um, various parts on, um, I guess, just how to um, to avoid deeds of darkness um, and contrast that with the fruits of life. Hmm. Um, and really, it's about how to treat each other. And um, we'll start at verse 18 and then go to 22. Mm-hmm. And do not get drunk with wine, hmm. for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, submitting to one another in reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, you'll notice that I said things you know, a little different in terms of verse 22. Um, and the reason for that is it doesn't actually say wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Um, that's because there's actually no verb there. Um, now, it, there's a reason your Bible's inserted in. Maybe you might notice it's in italics. Um, and that's because it's actually taking it from verse 21. Submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. Hmm. Um, verse 21 kind of serves to summarize everything that came before in terms of how the whole church should be treating each other. Um, and it kind of transitions into verse 22 at the same time. Hmm. And so, again, those that want to try to cut everything off, you know, starting at verse 22, there's really no good reason for that since it's all part of one big sentence and because the verb submit comes from verse 21. So, An inferred verb. Basically. Yes. Yeah, if you open up your Novum Testamentum or your Greek New Testament, it will not have that verb in verse 22. So right. this is not something we're making up. It's in all, if you're in seminary, it's the first thing you learn when you uh, when you open up your Greek New Testament or Novum Testamentum. Yeah. Yep. So fun stuff. Um, all right. So the implication there, I think, is a very egalitarian one. Egalitarianism says um, that husbands and wives, men and women, should submit to each other. Mm-hmm. So it's a view on mutual submission. Um, it's not a zero-sum game where... Um, one of us has to be the leader and the other the follower. Um, it's very much a reciprocal thing and yep. gift-based idea of looking at things. Yep. Um, 
And so, yes, we are not uh, for cutting off verse 21 or anything else. Actually, for Nick and I's wedding, this was one of our readings. and Because yep, we love this passage, actually. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. Um, it's a great passage. But we decided to take out the inferred verb to, I don't know, maybe because we're nerds and we wanted to people, people to go, oh... It must come from verse 21. Well, but, we also want to be accurate to the word yeah. of God, at least in the ter- in the way we understand it. So it's it's about actually being submissive to what God's word actually says. That's true too. And yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not against that they put in uh, italics uh, submit to your own husbands. Um, it's going to come up later anyway. Yeah. Um, it's just that I think there's a lot of misinformation going around there, and so there's no reason why people should cut off verse 21, but they just do. Yeah. So, unfortunately, that's the reality. That's a translational problem. I don't know that it is. I think it's really maybe just a us problem. Gotcha. Maybe at this point. Mm. I don't know. All right. So, next. Um, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Now, this is also going to get into <laughs> some um, very interesting... Um, Issues, um, and I'm gonna think of how to try to say this as simply and quickly as possible. Uh, first, part of the problem is when people read it and they just say, "Well, it means what it says." Well, the problem is there's a metaphor in here, hmm. and it's such a common metaphor that we use every day in English that we don't even think of it as a metaphor, right. and that's head, hmm. like the head of the company. We we automatically know, oh, that's the CEO. Like, yeah, that's the person with authority, the person in charge. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, anytime you have a metaphor being used across culture or time, there's going to be differences. And in this case, um, this is a huge this is this is a huge difference. I think it does not mean leadership whatsoever. Um, but we'll get into that. So the thing is, there's a lot of people out there, including specifically Wayne Grudem, that want others to believe that this is definitely. Um, almost always like a reference to leadership and every time you see head uh, mentioned in the bible anywhere the greek word kephale yeah yeah, Kef- yeah greek word kephale yeah. um it's going to mean leadership or authority over or something like that yeah yeah and here's the thing too there's some like moves that are done that look good on paper but maybe not in a big picture sense hmm. so for instance um sometimes impressive like maybe six examples of it being used as um, leadership outside of the in Greek, but outside of the New Testament, will be listed. That's the Septuagint, right? Yeah, that's the yeah. Septuagint, and it's actually not so impressive um, once you realize the bigger picture. Yeah. So first of all, and I'm getting this from Philip Payne's book, uh, Man and Woman, One in Christ. Um, 226 out of 239 instances where kephale, you know, our word for head, is used. It's actually literal, as in the top of your head. The, the thing that sits on top of your neck. The thing that has your brain. Yeah. So people look at it and they're like, oh, yes, that's what it is. It's a biological thing. Now, yeah. it's got a quirk where six out of 171, uh, it is used for leader. And the thing is, Hebrew does have that metaphor. Um, and one of the problems of the Septuagint um, as a whole is it tended to be too wooden. And people would complain about that. Yeah. Um, but... All this to say, these numbers show that it's actually an avoided word to denote the metaphor. Um, it, I guess it would perhaps maybe have confused more than um, helped people understand what was trying to be conveyed. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there first. Um, and so the other thing is, too, 
most lexicons, which is the Greek dictionary for for the Koine Greek or classical Greek, it does not list authority as a valid. They don't list authority as a valid meaning. Um, there's only a few New Testament ones that do, um, and <laughs> the primarily the D in BDAG, which you know maybe is its own discussion. Yeah. Um, so the things that, what are the options for its meaning? Um, preeminence is a big one, and uh, Servan covers that. Richard Servan's article, yeah. Yeah, and actually source may be um, contained within the idea of preeminence. And note, this is not preeminence in terms of preeminent leader. Like, people keep wanting to fit that in. Um, yes, a preeminent person can be a leader, but... That does not mean preeminence yeah, the other, itself means leader. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um Probably a source fits better. Um, you can see a giant footnote. It's probably about a page in length at Philippines book on page 117, where it's uh, more of a scholarly consensus, at least that the meaning is more source, at least in 1 Corinthians 11. Yeah. Um, so it, despite what's said, um, source is actually a valid meaning and um, leadership is not so much. So something else I've heard said is, and I'm, I, I hate that I have to go through this because the passage itself is more important, but unfortunately this is just a horribly distracting detail. Um, but <laughs> so some people say, well, yes, um, source is used as like the source or beginning point or originator of the in the river, but not so much for a person. Like the kephalet of a river or something like that. Yeah. And we've actually had people tell the, us this and when we've told them <laughs> some examples, they didn't have anything to say and they stopped talking to us. But um, you have Philo in Rewards 125. Um, the virtuous person is described as the source of spiritual life. Um, a different one is an Orphic fragment, um, 168. Um, Zeus is the head, Zeus is the middle, and from Zeus all things exist. So you also, I think arguably, and we won't go into big detail on this, um, it, you have a lot of Jesus as the source or the beginning, the fountain of the church. Um, and things of the kind, and the source of nourishment for the body of Christ. Yeah, what what goes through the head? Well, food goes into the head, you know, and stuff like that. So it's a sort, it's the mechanism, it's the yeah. source of, of of life for the body. Yeah, and I mean, it's probably in the context of our entire passage, and I think it'll become more evident as um, Nick does his section. Um, I think head is being referred to as the husband being the source of nourishment. And this is entailed by the submission in the ultimate sense of giving one's life yeah. um, for the sake of the other, um, both in life and as Jesus did on the cross for all of us. Um, and one, one reason to, to see this sense is there's um, in verse 23, which I'll read again. For the husband is the head of the wife, wife as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Now this last part, he himself being the savior of the body, misses a very interesting grammatical point. Um, and I'll try to say this as um, simply as possible. Um, head and savior are in an appositional relationship, which means the word savior is supposed to describe what head is. Yeah. And so if you want to know what does Paul mean by head here, it's savior. He has, he's told us. Um, so there's that. And Nick will be able to go through this a bit more. Mm -hmm. um, and so let's go to verse 24. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. And so again, there's nothing new here. Verse 21, we're supposed to be subject to each other out of reverence of Christ. Um, he's highlighting this again for wives. And here's the thing. I think this is actually a very, it's a very Christian concept overall. And it's a very important concept um, for husbands and wives. Um, 
the thing is, as Christians, we're not supposed to be all about um, who has the final say um, or anything like that. And I think for Nick and I, um, submitting to one another has really come down to just not being selfish. Yeah. Um, that's probably, I think that's the big obstacle for a lot of people. It's like, how do I just not be selfish today and tomorrow and the next day? Um, and so it's giving the preference to the other person. Uh, maybe Nick comes home from a, I know Nick's going to come home from a long days of work and I've been at home. I'll, I'll cook him dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes uh, he knows I'll be like just recently horribly stressed over a paper and so he'll be the one that cooks dinner or yep. he'll go out of his way to do um, various things to <laughs> make my life easier as I do my paper and, mm-hmm. and for me, him. Um, and it's a source of joy. Like you get to serve yeah. the other person when they're, when they're stressed or when they're struggling. And it's, it's, it's a joy to serve and to submit to one another. Yeah. And I think it was Ephesians that talked about God setting up good works for us to do ahead of time. Like yeah. all, all of this is an opportunity um these are these aren't just things we have to do these are opportunities um now before i let nick launch into his um i'd like to go through because these are considered um household codes uh genre wise and i'd like to read you a household code um an ancient household code that i think will be a little bit enlightening for our passage and point out some of the differences so this is aristotle um politics um, 125, you know, it's okay. If just, if you want to know, ask me and I'll tell you where this is. Where... Hit her up on Twitter at Allison Quint. Is that what yep. it is? Allison Quint on Twitter. Yep. All right. So the male is by nature superior and the female inferior and the one rules and the other is ruled. This principle of necessity extends to all mankind of household management. We have seen that there are three parts. One is the rule of the master over slaves, which has been discussed already another of a father, and the third of a husband. A husband and father, we saw, rules over his wife and children, both free, but the rule differs. The rule over his children being a royal over his wife, a constitutional rule. For although there may be exceptions to the order of nature, the male is by nature fitter for command than the female, just as the elder and full-grown is superior to the younger and more immature. The ruler ought to have more moral virtue and perfection, for his function, taken absolutely, demands a master artificer, and a rational principle is such an artificer, oh my gosh, the subjects oil the other head, yada yada, okay, clearly then, moral virtue belongs to all of them, but the temperance of a man and of a woman, or the courage and justice of a man and of a woman, are not, as Socrates maintained, the same. The courage of a man is shown in commanding, of a woman in obeying. Um, just a quick reference, um, if I'm remembering correctly, Socrates had this very bizarre um, world where, yes, men and women were equal, but it was this like weird thing where no one raised their own childrens, and it was all about the state. And yeah, so he's in part, you know, talking about that. But you know, some observations. Um, surprise, surprise! It's all about the man and his superiority, mm-hmm. um, and um, strictly one commands, the other obeys. Yep. There's a lot on how a man is to how a man is to rule his household um, that we just don't see in our passage, um, and you can guess who this was written for. Um, yeah. In our passage, you um, the section on uh, the section for men and women in husband and wife relationship starts with mutual submission, and women are addressed first. So over here, women aren't addressed at all, really, and here women are addressed and first. 
Um, this isn't a letter written to the head of the household on how he should conduct his household or how he should govern his household. Um, you'll see no uh, descriptions on how he's going to rule. Um, I'll let Nick go ahead and take it away. Yeah, and really quick on that, we have actually early household codes in addition to that where the husband or the man of the house is just, he, he's the one that's addressed and he's told how to chastise yep. or discipline his slaves, how he's to treat his wife, how he is, himself is to behave, and the wife is never addressed as a, 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 a moral agent, no. as someone to do something. And you'll actually see this um, as an interesting feature when he talks to slaves directly. Yep. And I, I'll be excited when we get into those passages because you have some more interesting reversals um, that happen. But Yeah, and so uh, one quick thing before I get into my passage. Uh, Kephale is used two other times in Ephesians. One mm -hmm. is in Ephesians one twenty two, where I'm using the CEB. God put everything under Christ's feet and made him head over everything in the church. That's actually not correct. Uh, it should be to the church. It's a dative of benefit. So Christ is given to the church as head, and it's described as which is his body. And so, again, we have an organic or biological mm -hmm. interdependency where our, the source of our life is in Christ. Christ is the one that sustains us. We look to Christ as our imitation, as our, as our exemplar. And so, and you also have this used in Ephesians 4. Uh, let me pull that up real quick, just to make sure I get this right. Don't want to butcher the word of God. <laughs> That's kind of a bad thing. Uh, and so you have this uh, image in Ephesians 4, uh, 15, where it says, Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the kephali, the head. Mm. The whole body grows from him as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The, the Greek is actually very complicated there. The body makes itself grow into that it builds up. Ugh. It's, like I said, really complicated. The body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does its part. So it's all about growth and growing from, like, the source. Yeah, the the, the initial cause, the the origin, the the support, you know. It's a it's an organic imagery. It's a unity. It's not a... Uh, uh, it's not defined by a hierarchical relationship. It is a, it's a somatic unity, Christ and the church, so to speak. Yeah, and I'm remembering some details that Payne um, mentioned, too. Um, we think... We know brain is in the head and the brain controls a lot of the functions in the body. Yep. Um, for them, it was, especially for Paul, it's mostly the heart and the bowels. Splankna, guts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If it makes sense, if you have a stomach ache, you are upset. Yeah. So. Yeah, so they're not thinking, so they think, oh, yeah, you take food into your mouth. Um, you can feed yourself through your it, mouth. Like it, It's ancient physi physiology. If you look at ancient yeah. medical records, that's exactly what it is. The head is the, the source of the body's life. That's why if you get your head cut off, as an example is used, you lose your life. Yeah, I mean, it makes complete sense. You get sh stabbed in the stomach, you can maybe survive it. Maybe. Probably unlikely. But you have a better shot if you don't have your head cut off. Anyway, I um, wanted to make those two points. And so my portion is Ephesians 5, 25 to 33. Not as complicated or technical as Allison's, and so I'll be a little more flowery. theologically rich. Very rich. And so I'll read again from the Common English Bible, starting in verse 25. As for husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, or gave himself for her. He did this to make her holy by washing her in a bath of water with the word. He did this to present himself with a splendid church, one without any sort of stain or wrinkle on her clothes, but rather one that is holy and blameless. That's how husbands ought to love their wives, in the same way as they do their own bodies. Anyone who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hates his own body, but feeds it and takes care of it, just like Christ does for the church, because we are parts of his body. And this is a quotation of Genesis 2. This is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one body or one flesh. 
Marriage is a significant allegory, or literally a mystery, and I'm applying it to Christ in the church. In any case, as for you individually, each one of you should love his wife as himself, and the wives and wives should respect their husbands. Mm -hmm. And so again, anything I say is built upon the premise of mutual submission in verse 21. And so when we get to headship and all this sort of, you know, modernistic language, everything must be interpreted in light of verse 21. You're not allowed to run countercultural to that. Verse 21 provides a, a lens by which we view everything else. And so love is the principal command of this passage for husbands as the imperative for love in verse 25 states. Husbands, love your wives. It's an exclamation point. Of course, we should not infer that wives should not love their husbands. Um, and the emphasis on husbands... Oh, and does, people do that, huh? Oh, yeah. The emphasis on husbands does not negate the love of the wife or the submission of the husband. That's a basic interpretive rule. An exclusive example does not negate the, or an, an inference that you yourself would love me. Yeah, I think I've gone to a Bible study before where they were all like, oh, well, right here it says um, husbands are have to respect their wives and, um, hus or no, husbands have to love their wives and wives have to respect their husbands. Therefore, wives really need love and husbands really need respect. And, it, well, I mean, elsewhere, wives are also told to um, love their husbands, but yeah. we won't get into that. Yeah. But it's just this weird tendency to anytime men and women are mentioned in particular as an example or maybe Paul notices a problem and wants to emphasize certain things mm -hmm. it's made into this weird universal it's concretized it, it can only mean literally only husbands can love their wives and yeah. that's absurd that yeah we, we don't read any other part of scripture or, that way I don't know that they would say only but they would say more like this is part of like someone's nature absolute nature Oh, that's, Inherent that's, to them. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, went to the Bible study. It's kind of weird. No, I believe you. Uh, <laughs> anyway, back to verse 25. It uses a specific uh, word, paradoken, uh, which is handed over, handed or betrayed even in negative context. And it's uh, paradoken who pair out taste. So it's uh, the husband is handed over for her, an imitation of Christ, something already established in verse 21, which Allison read, which uses um, imitation language. Verse 21 states, therefore become imitators of God as beloved children. So the husband is reinforced, it's reinforced here, not exclusively only to men, but focused on the husband mm -hmm. to be someone who gives himself up for his wife in the way Christ did, which we all know what happened to Christ. That's Christ this is self-abasement on the part of the husband. Christ handed himself over, paradokin, on behalf of us, and the husband is to imitate Christ as all of us are commanded to do so in verse yeah. 1. So this all again flows from, ver from mutual submission, from mutual imitation, and to focus, it is focused on the husband, but it's not exclusive to the husband. Why do you think it's focused on the husband here? I, I think um, in, in that culture, a man could have sex with whoever he wanted. Oh, yeah. Uh, slaves, male or female, he could have sex with whoever he wanted. And uh, it's, it's a yeah, way... Yeah, wives were for running households. Or even that. And having children. Having children. So instead of viewing his wife as a, a baby pumping out machine, which would kill her because she'd be having 10 kids and oh. that, you know, death and childbirth and stuff like that is or very something. common. And so love, so he didn't have to treat her with the respect or the, the, the mutual love that he would treat a, a woman he actually loved, a, a prostitute or... Well, even then, uh, I don't think um, men were accustomed to die, being willing to die for... No, you can get woman. another wife. You know, you yeah. can get another wife, you can get, you know, all this kind of stuff. Women, yeah. And so the husband is essentially told to give up his life for his wife, which is an incredible act of mutual submission. And that is how husbands are to love their wives. Not by being the, the dude bro in charge or having the final say in the home. Rather, it's, it's utter self-sacrificial love for your wife. And so when we get into the use of head, just going back to that really quick, because this informs the rest of the passage, Cynthia Westfall makes this really great point when she says, regarding this text, 
The wife is depicted by Paul as dependent on the husband for her life support, food, mm -hmm. clothing, nurture, protection, and love, in the same way that the body is dependent on the head for food, water, air, and the senses of sight and hearing. That's on page 95 of her Paul and Jenner book, which is fantastic. So the emphasis is not on necessarily origins or authority, but on the provision provided by the husband. And so in that sense, the husband is the source of the wife's needs. Mm. And the husband as source feeds his body and takes care of it, as verse 29 says. So he is the source of her health. And so he reverses the ancient model of household hierarchy and emphasizes what Westfall again calls biological interdependence. Mm. So anyone, and we get into verse uh, 28 to 29, anyone who loves his wife loves himself. Sounds kind of axiomatic almost, kind of like yeah. a pithy throwaway saying, but as Westfall again points out, this means that, the hus that a husband should treat his wife as he treats himself as a man. It is the golden rule in gender relationships. Huh. And that's again, page 95. Far from being the head in charge, the husband is a servant, offering his own body in service to his wife to love her, cherish her, and treat her as he himself would want to be treated. Yeah, and it's, um, we hear the term, oh, well, it's a servant leadership, you know, relationship. Cannot be farther from the truth. Yeah, it's, let's just say in other analogies, it's um, slave-slave relationship yeah. with Christ being the master. And what you have here, it <laughs> goes even further, I think. In this household code, the separate spheres, so to speak, of domesticity and the husband is out, mm. rules outside and the wife rules inside are broken. And the husband now submits to his wife by serving. Hmm. By doing domestic, uh, it's not about baptism, you know, the washing and stuff like that. That's not baptism. That is um, domestic duties. Oh, interesting. And nurturing. So he's using domestic language and using it of... A the... husband doesn't do domestic language. doesn't do domestic stuff in the ancient world the same yeah. way the wife does, you know, spinning, oh, making food and stuff like that. And so the husband is told to, if you want to put a fine point on it, act like a wife. And in a Greco-Roman context where women were the ones who did the housework, this is powerful stuff. Hmm. This is a complete reversal of the expectation Paul places on the husband. So first he he, he uh, refers to the wife yep. and says, you know, a standard respect. Do, do what's expected of you in a cultural context where there are there is patriarchy. You yeah. have no say. You know, you are to be under your husband both in many ways and all that sort of thing. Paul reinforces that, so to speak, but he completely undoes the... Well, I wouldn't say he reinforces that. It's more um, in terms of submission, women were already submitting. Yeah, that's what I was getting. He's not really so, telling women to go beyond what they're expected nothing, to do. There's nothing yeah, new there, but what's yeah. new is what the What husband, he says to the uh, husband. Uh -huh. yep. And so, I mean, the wife is already told to be submissive. We understand that. That's just, that's ancient language. But what, how the, but the, the mutual submission completely reverses the 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 dominant patriarchal view of what the husband is supposed to be and so um and so the biological or or organic imagery in verses 28 to 33 to the end references genesis 2 where the two become one flesh it's not an analogy it's a mystery you know paul is not sitting here like this explains literally everything about the marriage relationship or how christ and the church relate but it's it's a it's a an example of how yeah it's you, an analogy yeah, yeah it's an example it's 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 a way of kind of communicating to us the the complexity of what we see now versus what is a reality in in Christ and the church yeah that's interesting yeah, and it's the is it the mysterion yep the mysterion yeah so this is really so really all of this is a giant analogy it's about Christ it's not or about how marriage. Christ submits to the, the, oh the household yeah. is not about the quote the household of God or how a household should be run really. This is how people in the new community relate Christologically to one another, by giving yourself over to one another, by mutual submission, by treating one another as you want your own flesh to be treated. You know, this is not something where the husband has the right to claim sex in a relationship. That has been completely undone. He is to hand himself over. It's utter abasement on the part of the husband. 
And so far from being about like a male hierarchy, this passage emphasizes that the handing over of oneself in love is the greatest imitation of Christ a mm-hmm. husband and a wife can do. So essentially, Paul says, husbands, love your wives with utter abandon and treat them as you would want to be treated. That means husbands, you don't like having your, you don't like being lorded over. You don't like being pushed around or shoved or abused. Don't do that to your wives. Don't become bitter with them. Don't become, you know, a heavy handed, you know, narcissistic tool to your wife. Rather, love them, cherish them, empower them, you know, take up the responsibility of domestic duties for her, you know, give up your so-called, you know, power that you think you have. And use it for her by being a servant for her, not a servant leader. It's nothing about leadership in the passage. Instead, be that which empowers her and lifts her up. Be that which helps her be a better wife and helps you be a better husband. And so, you know, don't be drunk with wine. Don't, you know, abuse her. Don't go out and have sex with other people, you know. And so to to tie it all up, it's a great mystery. And husbands should love their wives in the way that Christ loved the church. Not by lording authority over, but by literally paradokin, handing yourself over to be crucified, to die for her. Mm. And the the emphasis on soma, on body, on flesh, reinforces that you cannot abuse, you do not abuse your own body because you're abusing your wife and you're abusing yourself. And right. so it's, it's reciprocal biology in a sense. And that's also why you take care of your wife, because yep. why would you mess up your own body is the... Um, It kind of actually reminds me of an Old Testament law I read. I think like if you're a second wife and he stops feeding you and clothing you and basically Mm -hmm. your life is at risk, you can divorce. Yeah. So again, in the ancient world too, um, women are even more in a vulnerable position where they can't... They don't have medical care if they have 10 kids. I mean, having one child in the ancient world is extremely taxing on the female body. Right. And I mean, husbands had oftentimes power of life over death. Yep. For, they didn't want that baby yeah. girl. They would just do what the Romans did. Leave it out to die. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that was awesome. Um, should we, let's do some resources. Yeah. So like I mentioned, uh, Cynthia Westfall's book, Paul and Gender, she goes through everything about body, about ancient gender stereotypes, about quote, headship and tackles essentially every Pauline gender text, but does so within the broad rubric of Paul's own theology in the ancient context. It's a fascinating book. It's cheap. It's, I think it's like 20 something bucks. It's, it's a, it's a marvelous book. I'm reviewing it for an, for a journal. Hopefully they like it and accept it. Cause that'd be <laughs> kind of cool. But yeah, um, that's, that's the book I recommend. Um, what, what do you recommend? I actually recommend, so an article, um, you can get part of, so Richard Servin and Wayne Grudem had this gigantic back and forth. Was it in Jets or no, it was in Trinity? A, a Trinity Journal. Trinity Journal. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, it's kind of hilarious. And there's some kind of weird um, background things too, where um, they would sometimes not give Servin enough time and not let him respond. So let's just say um, there's a whole back and forth there. You can find some of it in Trinity Journal. Um, but, um, at interesting key points, they didn't let him publish responses. And so you can actually find his response at cbeinternational.org. Um, his, his first article was, does Kefale mean source or authority in Greek literature? A rebuttal. And he actually takes the preeminence view primarily. Mm -hmm. And so you'll get to hear his um, slant on that. Yeah, and I think preeminence is valid, but it does not exclude source, as, as you and I have discussed. Well, and, and like that. Servant, I believe, says that he actually sees source as a um, maybe sub sense that could is possible yeah. within preeminence. He, he thinks authority over is just nonsensical, as I recall. But he thinks source could be a translation in certain texts and yeah. certain as an implicit um, secondary kind of causal meaning in certain yeah. texts. Like in this text, I think he opts for preeminence. 
Oh, for Ephesians, Ephesians 5. I think so, but I mean, he didn't. It's not a strict exegetical, you know, verse yeah. by verse example. So that it's a great legitimate. article. Even if I disagree with it, it's a stunningly good article. Well, most of the article is actually refuting Grudem because Grudem actually misrepresents quite a few facts constantly, um, and there's lots of weird errors. Um, you can get his response to Servan in even any of he sometimes puts it in the end of his books, so you yeah. can maybe find it there. Um, recovering biblical manhood and womanhood. I think had the appendix. Yeah, it's a it's a long appendix. I actually so I actually found Servan because of Grudem because I read I read everything backwards. I read Grudem's comebacks and was kind of like he's not even really responding well to even the Servan quotes he picks hmm. out. So anyway, um, also Philip Payne, whom we love, um, we don't always recommend him because we would recommend him every single time, and maybe we. Kind of still do. Yeah. I don't know. Just a little bit. But he gave an excellent talk at the Evangelical Theological Society recently. And um, we, with his permission, we will be having some of his handouts available on our site. Yep. PB Payne is, is the uh, website for Philip Payne's work. Just look under uh, publications and articles. And there's a lot of stuff on there more broadly conceived. So stuff on 1 Timothy 2 and his stuff on textual criticism. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah. And he's great. Like, um, you can email him and ask him random questions. Um, that's how I started interacting with him. I was just like, what about this? What about that? And he will give you pages of response sometimes. Yep. Very detailed, very thorough, very detail-oriented. It's, it's, it's very nice man in person, too. Yeah, in person, he's a lot like a, like your grandpa, but extremely sharp and extremely, in terms of being... Scary smart. Scary smart, yeah. 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 He pulled out his Greek New Testament and just started reading it in front of me. I'm just oh, like, yeah. I was like, oh, I, I am so inadequate. He, he wanted right? you to point out his uh, your point that he you were making. On, a fi- on Philemon, yeah. And yeah, I was you able did. to do it. I you did. I was, I was impressed. He was like, here you go. <laughs> like, oh. I was like, okay, I'm not so stupid. All right, that's not so bad. All right, so um, re- we've done resources. Are there any other resources you want to recommend? Um, I think those are the big ones now. I recommend uh, Christians for Biblical Equality overall. Um, yeah. It's cbeinternational.org. Um, they're a great place to get resources, various articles. Um, some things are free. Some things are like a dollar. So um, I, I'd recommend going over there. Yeah. Uh, so what, what text are we going to talk about next time? Are we going to start with uh, 1 Corinthians or what are we going to start with? Let's do... Let's start with 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7 it is. Thank you.